Welcome to Pathways to Hope and Healing, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals, but licensed counselors are available at the Nampa Family Justice Center. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, or elder abuse, please call the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Welcome to our second edition of Pathways to Hope and Healing. I'm Corey Michaels, along with retired Detective Corporal Angela Weeks, who also happens to be the president of the Family Justice Center Foundation of Idaho. Hello once again, Angela. Good to see you again. It's always wonderful to see you, my friend. And, you know, in the first episode... We got to talk to Casey and about how the the National and International Family Justice Center Foundation had started from the beginnings and, and what brought us to today with them. Yeah, incredible work that he has done um, through in San Diego, across this country, um, and, and internationally. Um, you know, from listening to him, he's an incredible inspiration. Yes, he is, and and continues to grow and continues to evolve. All of the different things, I I don't know how he does all of that. I don't know how he does. <laughs> <laughs> but now it brings us closer to home. Now to talk on this episode uh, about the Nampa Family Justice Center and the the Family Justice Center Foundation of Idaho, and you were the integral part of of starting that. And it started in, well, not, not obviously good situation. Yeah, my motivation um, came for, came out of tragedy, um, yes. knowing we had to do something different. Um, I had worked as a Nampa police officer um, for a few years. Um, I'd actually been moved to our investigations division when I had my first homicide case come up. And it was a four-month-old little girl who oh. had um, been murdered by her father who had a history, when we talked to the family, of uh, abusing his spouse, but it had been unreported to law enforcement. That year was a really tough year for me because yeah. within five months, two more tragedies came into my life. Um, I met a little girl by the name of Natasha Duarte who had been physically beaten by her babysitter who had a history of lighting her own children's clothes on fire. But um, she had the same cultural background as the Natasha's family. She was the neighbor. They felt comfortable with her. Um, and she shook Natasha on two separate occasions. And Natasha didn't die from those injuries, but she was left blind, unable to speak and walk on her own. Um, And within two weeks, I had met Ellen Marie Sinclair on a backboard at um, a home, actually right down from where the Justice Center stands now. And I followed the ambulance over to St. Luke's, sorry, St. Alphonsus Hospital's pediatric unit. And actually, her and Natasha were in back-to-back rooms. Ellen ended up dying from seven blunt force trauma injuries um, to her brain. And the man that had 
killed her had 68 contacts with the Nampa Police Department, domestic violence, civil protection order violations. He was violating a no contact order when he murdered her. And I looked at all of that and I thought, these lives, these families that are impacted, they'll never be the same. What can we do differently? I, I can't keep going forward in my career i can only imagine doing this and not knowing that we're making a difference at the time i was actually a domestic violence instructor for the police academy and they'd reached out to me and asked me if i'd like to go to san diego to a conference and i'm like i've never been to san diego (laughs) i'd love to go to san diego oh little did i know Corey. little did (laughs) i know uh casey gwynn who we talked to last week they had just opened the san diego family justice center that previous october that following April, I was there um, for the conference and toured the San Diego Family Justice Center. I came back to my hotel room. This is why people don't like to travel with me. <laughs> um, and I, um, I went to sleep. Um, I always say God woke me up in the middle of the night and uh, I had eight pages of a strategic plan written. Um, Not just, oh, I need to contact the Department of Health and Welfare or I need to contact the prosecutor's office, but I was working with these people in my community. We had relationships. I was like, I need to call Christy. I need to reach out to Brian. I need, you know, I need to talk to these people because we're going to do this. This is the difference we're going to make. And I came back to our community and I started meeting with people to see if they thought I was crazy. Some of them, you know, I, I carried a gun. Maybe they weren't comfortable telling me they thought it was crazy. <laughs> but um, I started talking to people, and I held a I held a community meeting. I invited elected officials. I invited um, people that I wanted on site there. I invited partners that we were working with. I wanted them to know what we were doing to victims in our community, how we were wearing them down, sending them from location to location, asking them to repeatedly share their tragic experience, the trauma that they had gone through, and then wondering why they fell off, why they didn't go forward. Uh, You know what that meeting the mayor at our, at that time, mayor Tom Dell and one of our city councilmen Uh came up to me and they said, you know what? Oh, actually, sorry. It wasn't that meeting. That meeting, somebody came up and told me about a community development block grant. I was a police officer. I had no idea about writing grants. Right. But gave it a shot. You learned. Yeah, I learned. (laughs) And it was then that I went and did the presentation before the mayor and the city council. And at that meeting, they came up and they heard this vision. They heard what I was sharing. And they told me we had a building in downtown Nampa. They, sorry, we didn't have it at the time. (laughs) They had the building in downtown Nampa. And that if it worked for what we wanted to do in the community, they fully supported it. We went down and we toured it. We looked at it. We got community block grant funds to remodel it, but not near enough. And that was around the same time that Casey um, was actually speaking with President Bush and talking about the Family Justice Center uh, concept. And they had set aside $20 million to fund 15 pilot projects. I'm a determined individual <laughs> and <laughs> I to say the least, to see the, say the least. <laughs> yes. and I just absolutely believe Nampa had what it took. Our community had what it took yeah. to be part of this. And there were over 400 communities that initially wanted that money. Uh, we were one of 15 selected and that was, um, gosh, that was, I think 18 years ago we were selected because there was a couple of years work before we opened our doors. Um, but we were one of the first family justice centers. We were part of that project pi- that pilot project to open a family justice center, but we did things differently. We said, you know, we don't want to silo sexual assault victims over here. We don't want to silo child abuse over here. We don't want to silo our domestic violence victims over here because we knew 
that those individuals we were working with were the same families. They were dealing with similar issues. We wanted to provide services in one location to all of those. And um, it's crazy how many now are actually trying to do similar things where they realize the Child Advocacy Center should be part of the Family Justice Center. We became an accredited um, Child Advocacy Center within our Family Justice Center. Uh, You know, Rebecca Lovelace was our first um, director we had through the program. And then we had Criselda Delacruz, who also came in as a one of our employees and then moved up to working as our executive director. And then Criselda last summer, um, she moved on to, um, her husband had got a job in Montana. She moved on to a different location. So one of our other employees who actually started as an intern, uh, an intern, which I completely support that. That's how I started in the police department. (laughs) But, um, Jeannie Strohmeyer, um, who started as an intern actually became our interim director last summer. And in January, she was appointed as our full-time executive director. And so that's one of the big reasons we wanted to have her here today to talk because what we started with, you know, and this vision, this dream um, has gone so far beyond what I could have ever imagined we were going to do in our community and is still doing that. And that's what I wanted to have Jeannie come in for. Well, Jeannie, welcome. It's always wonderful to see you. Thank you. So nice to see you again. Well, why why don't we start with, okay, your journey from what brought you to being an intern with the Family Justice Center, and then your kind of steps that you took to now where you are today. Yeah, I thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this topic with with you because I'm very passionate, as Angela is, uh, very passionate about the Family Justice Center and what we do there. I want to say that when I came in as an intern, uh, Angela was teaching one a class, and I remember pointing, and in my mind, pointing at her and saying, when I'm here as long as she's been here, I want to be that passionate still. Did she just call me old? <laughs> I think kind of. <laughs> well, we kind of are the same age. I started later in That's life right. than okay. you did. But... Um, Yeah, I remember thinking that, and I I started in 2009 as an intern, and I came, I was a stay-at-home mom for 13 years, and I came um, into this world by chance. So I love helping people. It's always been my passion. And so when I was went to school, I went to NNU uh, to uh, get a degree in social work because I was just wanted to help people. I, I found myself at the Family Justice Center as an intern, and I was blown away had no idea what was happening in our community, had no idea the abuse that was happening because I had, was a very blessed individual that didn't experience those things. And I had no idea when I walked in this world um, how many children, how many adults have, are being abused and severely abused and, there, and, and how many services were needed to help these people. So as I came into the Family Justice Center and I listened to Angela and I saw all that was going on, I thought, that is phenomenal and fantastic. So um, I was like, I want to stay. So I was hired on as an advocate. And I was in that role for a few years and then was able to work with lots and lots of people um, and serve people. And then I was promoted to the client service coordinator role and then promoted to the program manager role and now in this uh, position as executive director, which is my privilege to be still serving and really still passionate about caring for people. And so it's been a wonderful journey um, to see all those different components of the job and of the the way we serve. So yes, I am excited to tell you about those things. 
Yeah, there, there's been a lot of change. Just, I mean, I think about just from when I came, the significant change. But, you know, when you talk about 2009, Jeannie, yes. and kind of what you saw, what we were offering at the Justice Center, and even the way we've been able to continue to expand. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So what I was thinking about it, and I, you know, when I first came, there was three staff at the Family Justice Center, three. And now we have 16. And that's not that many years later. And we are busy. So when I first came, it was, it was started like four years you had certain um, population that we were serving, domestic violence and sexual assault and child yep. abuse. We've expanded that. Now we're doing elder abuse, stalking and sex trafficking victims. Uh, we expanded our, um, our, our mission statement has changed because we've specified how we're serving. Our mission statement before was great. It was broad. It was collaborative, which is amazing, such amazing foundation that we that, that was there when I came. But man, I have seen over the years expansion as well as for services. We have so many more services than we had at the at the beginning. Uh, we have, like I said, more staff and um, the uh, the the trainings that we provide, so many more trainings for our community. So there's so much more going on um, in the Family Justice Center. And the, the mission is to promote, so this is the specific mission that we talk about all the time, and that's to promote safety, self-sufficiency, hope and healing to those affected by abuse. So with that, that's a very broad mission statement. It's very holistic in its approach. So we had to say, what is it that we need to have in our agency, in our building, that is going to uh, serve the population for the safety component, the self-sufficiency, and hope and healing? So the safety component, and I think of all those different components, and I think we have really expanded further. So the safety component, we have added cameras, we've had, we've had protection orders that we've had all along, but we've added cameras, we've added um, high-risk team and different things to that um, area for services. For self-sufficiency, we didn't really have that component happening at the time, and so um, we were able to hire a case manager. And what that means, which is so phenomenal, because we are not just a crisis agency that says, okay, come in here, we're going to put Band-Aids on your situation, we're going to try to help you, and then be well, hope things go well for you. We are an agency where you can come in. And you can get services that um, expand to helping you find a job, helping you find a place to live, helping you find childcare for your children, helping you get transportation, helping you get on your feet so you don't have to go back to an abusive situation to help you just survive in life, right? right? So that component has been added. And then we have the um, hope and healing. So we had a few ca a counselor there um, when I first started, but um, one that, right, right one, yeah. and that has expanded. We have multiple trauma informed counselors or trauma trained counselors. We also added groups. We have uh, several groups. We have boundary groups and healthy relationship groups and pattern changing groups and teen relation, healthy relationship groups. We have all these groups and that's all to promote that healing piece. I have heard, in fact, um, you'll hear from a, um, one of our survivors that went through the, one of those classes and, and it was just like light bulbs were going off and it really changed and transforms people's lives. So what a privilege to work in a place where we can not only help them with the safety but we can help them walk alongside them and say, how do we help support you to get on your feet so you can be self-sufficient and not have to go to another a, a, a abusive relationship 
and then also change the trajectory of your life where you can live in, in, in safety and in joy and in peace and raise your children in a way where they see and they're mo you're modeling a behavior that shows the children abuse is not acceptable. It's not okay. Right. And the people that we're serving, oftentimes they don't know any different. They don't see that there is another way. They don't see the hope of a safe life because this is all they've known, the only way they've yeah. lived. So what a privilege that we have to show them that there is another way, and that's the provision for hope. So we don't just provide the word hope, like, oh, I hope things go well, right? We provide a pathway and an avenue for them to find that change and transformation. And we have story after story of people telling us of that transformation that's happened. We had a lady that wrote a book. We have people that call us and tell us, I'm in college now. Because of what you've done for me, I want to go and do that for other people. I had a young girl um, that just sent us, a, uh, this last in June, sent us a postcard saying, thank you for what you did. Because of what you did for me, I am now able to graduate high school because of what, how you've served. We have that over and over again because we are looking at a holistic process from safety to healing yeah. and life changing. And that honestly is why I'm here, why I'm at the Justice Center, because it is worth it. Do ev Not everybody takes us up on that, but so many do that it is worth what we do. And I love being there. And And I want to tell you, when, we, when I first started uh, there, it was so interesting because I just remember, could, can't wait for somebody to come in so I can help them. Let me let them come in so I can help them. She's going to save them. Yes, <laughs> I wanted to help, right? And and it was very slow, right? Because four years in, there people didn't know about it yet. Yep. They didn't understand the services. But now, um, we have, last year, we had about an average of 597 clients for one month um, on an average. This year, um, we are at about 759 clients per month that are coming in on an average. So it is, I mean, the, we are so busy. Yeah. We have more staff, but we are so busy. And we, um, I'm going to tell you, let me just plug this in because we really need this. We could use some volunteers and we could use some help. Yeah. And because as I mentioned, as we start from the very beginning, it was just, uh, there was hardly anybody coming in because nobody knew about it. Now we have so many people, thousands of people coming through our doors on a yearly basis, and we don't. We just need more support. With all that we've grown, because our, our community is growing, um, but also the awareness is growing. And because people are sharing the word with other people, we're just getting more people, which is wonderful because the problem is out there. We need to, we want to help the people, but we need more support and help. You know what's really interesting about what she just said? I remember when I was doing that presentation in front of the city council, I came in with my numbers. You know, I'm like, there were, you know, 300 and so domestic violence cases and 137 child abuse cases this last year at the Nampa Police Department. And if you'll support us, I can guarantee you our numbers are going to double. And they kind of looked at me like, oh, what? Uh, well, then we can't do this if our numbers are going to double. <laughs> and, um, and, and I said, here's the reality. There are that many people, at least yeah. in our community, that we are not helping because this is such an underreported problem and people don't know what the resources are. And when they reach out, they're worn down. They're exhausted. It's complicated. We're not communicating and talking to each other. So the significance of the number she just shared is yep. not that, you know, obviously we've had a population increase that has an impact on it, but we are now more known as a resource to that people can reach out to and that they can 
Well, and, and something that I, I took from uh, what both of you had said earlier, but Angela, early on when we were talking, is all of the services being able to be under one roof. Because as we all know, it is tough enough for someone who has been in an abusive situation, uh, physically, mentally, monetarily, all of the above, whatever it happens to be, under the control of some other individual, just to get them out of the house and to someone to share their story once is is hard. Yeah. The courage it takes to walk through that one door. One door. Much less asking them to take another day off work and go through another door. Yes. And now, share that same thing again, again and you again know what's really, and again. Um, interesting about the Family Justice Center is not only do we have our 12 staff from the Family Justice Center, but the Crimes Against Persons Unit from the Nampa Police Department, the sergeant, the corporal, the victim witness coordinators, their, you know, their community service officer are all on site there. The Department of Health and Welfare, the Child Protection, um, they're on site at the Justice Center. Legal aid attorneys are on site at the Justice Center. Um, St. Luke's Children Evaluation Services on site at the Family Justice Center. Our counselors on site. I mean, I can keep going through and you you, you know, if you think about all these organizations that have all their parents leading them and telling them what to do, and now we're all, we're bringing all of them and we're offering them a space to co- co-locate, to collaborate, and to do what's best for victims. Here's what I admire about all of those professionals that are on site. So our building isn't big enough for everybody that... could be there to offer services. And some of those professionals, uh, you know, you think of doctors and attorneys having these nice big spaces and stuff. We're not able to offer that to all of them, but they don't complain. They don't drag their feet. They're not like, I can't believe that somebody expects me to be here because they all, and, and they have from since day one, which is why, again, I have so much respect for them. They all know why we're there. And this has yeah. nothing to do with us and what's best for our organization. It might be more inconvenient for us to be on site at the Justice Center in reality because we're not with the rest of our organization. But it's what's best for our clients. And the professionals yeah. there know it. Jeannie, I mean, you've had to have experienced this. Yes, absolutely. And I do want to add, and it is, and I've heard many people say things like um, just to clients, how well they're treated, how f- they feel like they've been, been treated with dignity and respect because the people care. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and as we continue to bring more people in, there's that same mindset, which is so phenomenal. But I do want to mention, um, because I think it's really important, that you have all these different agencies in one location, which, is, which makes the Justice Center so wonderful. But in addition, um, we do have the community-based advocates in our building, mm-hmm. so people that come in do not have to speak to law enforcement, do not have to speak to CPS. Absolutely. So they can, it's all confidential with that community-based advocate, which is who they see at first. So sometimes we have people that come in and they say, I don't want to do anything. I just want to hear what you guys do, or I don't want to make a report. And if, if it's not mandated by law, like child abuse is mandated, so if there's child abuse, we have to report that. But if a person's coming in, and, and it's an adult, and she says, I or he or she says, I don't want to make a report, and it's them that maybe has suffered the abuse. As a community-based advocate, we have that confidentiality policy where they don't, we don't have to report that. So they can come in safely. They can feel confident to come in, and they can make talk to the advocate. The advocate can work with them. They can still get all the services that we provide. They do not have to interact with those agencies unless they want that. And we will make sure that they get connected there. Yeah. So it is a really, really important 
Because some people feel like, you have all these agencies, I don't want to go see those people. And they won't. They will see the community-based advocate. And only if they want to, to connect yeah. with those agencies will they do that. Well, and, and that's why it's important for someone who maybe right now is listening and in a situation of abuse, even if you're not ready yet to leave, you know you're going to have to do something or you think you're going to have to do something and you're still building up that courage. Just go there and you can talk to the advocate and at least find out the services, find out what they can do. You're not alone and that's something that you'll hear us talk about over and over again is you are not alone. There is this whole team of compassion, wonderful people who are there to do what's best for you. And you can at least find out from that one advocate what those services are. So as you are gaining the strength to be able to, to, to get out of that situation, you know where you can go and what is going to be, you know, what you can expect when you are ready. Yeah. You know, one of the things I absolutely love about the Family Justice Center concept is when somebody walks through our doors, we don't tell them what they need. We don't right. tell them you have to leave. We don't tell them what they need to do. The advocates will meet with them and they'll often find out what brought them through the doors. What were, what were their initial needs? Because most people have absolutely no idea what true, how many organizations are truly there, but they're listening to that experience. They're meeting them where they're at. And then an advocate who um, has the ability to be confidential, as, as Jeannie was explaining, can then walk them through what some of the services are. But again, they have the choice. Because nobody tells them, you have to file for a protection order. We help them make informed choices. We, they give them information about what's available and how that works, both the pros and cons of that. Um, you know, there are some honest conversations that take place with that because people have genuine fears and concerns, whether it's about law enforcement, which, uh, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, why wouldn't they want to talk to me? <laughs> um, but I have a completely different role, right? Um, yeah. And so being able to meet a client where they're at Offer them choice, an informed choice, um, is a great benefit of the Justice Center. Yeah. And additionally, it does not cost anything for the clients. Yeah. All the services we just talked about, I mean, and there's a ton more uh, specific services that we provide. None of it is at cost to those clients that are coming through. So what a privilege and what an honor it is to have that service in our community. Um, but I also want to mention, too, along with what you're saying, sometimes people don't, when we use the word abuse, they have no idea what that means. Yep. And they, they, they don't identify with that. And I understand yeah. why. Nobody wants to identify with abuse. But they're trying to say, what does that mean? What are you talking about? That's not me. But if there's a question that they might like, is this abuse? I, something's not right. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm, I do feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I do have some fear. Maybe not fear of harm sometimes. Maybe just fear like if I say something, I'm, you know, I don't know what will happen. Um, they can call. They can come in, they can call. We are happy to go over that. We're not going to tell them you're abused. You know, what we're going to do is give them information so they know what abuse looks like, and then they can self-disclose if that's what's happening to them or not. But just like Angela said, people, this is all um, the choice of the client. 
We want to make sure that they are empowered to make their decisions. We don't make an agenda for them. We don't make plans for them. We listen, and then we give information and options, and that's what we do. We do not coerce in any way, uh, but we do want to be there and help in any way that that's that they yeah. might need. And everybody's need is different, right? There well, is yes. no, no matter how many thousands of people we serve, nobody's experience is the same. Nope. And so the fact that our advocates and our staff at the Justice Center recognize that, and everybody is treated as an individual. Mm-hmm. There's no, this is the script of how your life should go because everybody's experience is so unique. Well, I want to ask both of you, because uh, something that's gotten brought up a couple of times here was about that there's not enough room. There's not enough room for all the services you currently have, let alone other services coming in. Uh, you know, with the the growth in numbers, that means growth in staff is going to need to occur. Uh, what are the plans, you know, moving moving forward for that? You know, what I'll tell you is we've had a significant transition in the way, even looking at our grants and our funding and the communications with the support that we get with the city, with our new team that has came in, and um, really identifying... COVID has had an impact on us. Um, Of course. We've never seen numbers like we have seen. um, And we can't just relate it to the growth, um, but we are seeing numbers like we have never seen before. Um, And so that has an impact on our staff and their caseload. Um, So the need for support for our organization, um, you know, we're constantly having to look at what the grant opportunities are out there. But along with the work that the Family Justice Center does, the Family Justice Center Foundation of Idaho that I'm the president of works on how can we continue to provide the client services? How can we raise funds? How can we address the growing needs in our community? I know in uh, one of our later podcasts, we're really going to focus on our foundation and some of the plans that we have for that growth. But Jeannie can talk a little bit more about even how they're working with the city on keeping them informed of our growth needs um, and just what we're doing funding wise. So um, we are continuing to look for, I mean, grants is something that we are always pursuing, and we have been able to get a few more grants, which we're so thankful for. Um, But we really understand that grant sustaining us is never the best way to go because grants often, they want you to do a new project. We need sustainable income for the clients, I mean, for the workers that we have currently, and even to grow in that. And so the city of Nampa has been wonderful in helping and supporting and being very um, mindful of where our needs are, where our gaps are, and will con- and are continuing to support us. And they have stepped in for a little bit more help just because of the dynamics that have happened this year. Um, I want to mention, you mentioned, um, Angela, that we have had more clients because of COVID. We have had um, the high, I just want to mention this because I think it's really important. Um, when we talk about high risk, there's high risk clients. High risk means that you are, we're concerned that you're not going to survive your relationship if you stay in it because you are such at a high risk. And we do, uh, we have a form that we, that helps guide us through that process. And so last year we had um, uh, about 17 for the entire year, uh, high risk clients. Those are the people, let me just mention, those are the people that say, I want to be a part of the high risk. Many people don't want to, they just stay out of it because they're scared. But Mm -hmm. those people that want to be a part of the high risk and let us, let us help them in, in greater ways to be safe. um, And, and they're reporting to the police and such those that was 17. This year in six months, we had 37. 
high risk. Oh. Um, and so it is, it's, it's more intense cases, more severe cases, as well as more um, frequent, uh, more people coming through our doors. Well, I, I would have to think with the stay-at-home orders yes. and all of that, where that was sometimes the only reprieve um, someone who was being abused got was the other individual going to work or them going to work, the kids going to school. Absolutely. You know, that was their chance to get away for at least a brief amount of time. And then with the stay-at-home order, now you're locked into a your home with this with this person 24-7. And, you know, whether it be alcohol, whether it be whatever, or just the close proximity for that time, I'm sure that has raised and well, escalated. And the started opening slowly that we saw earlier. I think that's when we saw our numbers starting to go up. Um, you know, and I often, you know, I know that there are people listening going, you know, that that's horrible that there are that many numbers and I can't believe that. And how do we make a difference and how do I help? But I could never do what these people are talking about. I can't, um, I can't, you know, I can't be the one that sits down with the client. I love that Jeannie was mentioning our volunteer program. You know, you can yeah. go on our um, website for the Family Justice Center and actually fill out the application. And the reality is we have a lot of behind the scenes things that need to be done. We have a client room that has all of these donations that come in and we have to keep that organized. We have to keep the flow of that. We have different things that um, with, with filing, we have different things with um, data intake entry. and data entry. Um, you don't Child have care. to do, yeah, exactly. There are so many mm -hmm. roles. And I always tell people, you don't have to do my job to make a difference. Sometimes the yeah. biggest difference people can make is financially supporting us because mm -hmm. then we're able to hire the staff that can do the work, that can go to court and be the advocate uh, in the courtroom with them, that can be sitting there um, helping with the sexual assault exam and being that advocate is there that's explaining the process that is letting them know that they're not alone. There are so many different ways that people can contribute, um, whether it's volunteering their time or whether it's gifting their money. Um, you know, we're, we'll take it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, as we, I just want to mention going back to the history, right? We have a big picture. We've been here 16, yeah. 16 years. And man, the community has stepped up so much. Yeah. So we have had one of our advocates. She does a great job. She does our social media uh, for Facebook. So if they're if you're not connected to Facebook, get on our Facebook page in Nampa Family Justice Center. Our Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. So you see what's going on because we post our needs there, specific needs there that we have. And our community has really stepped up to help in ways I have never seen before. And, and after saying that, we still need much more yeah. help because the need is great. Yeah. And the more we come together as a community, and Angela always usually says this, this is a community problem, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And as we come together as a community, we can make a difference and change the trajectory of what's happening in these families' lives for the good. And and, and, and they can, when we, when we are serving them and when we help them and when there's that healing process that happens, what you get is the families, they turn around from not being able to participate in the community because of the yeah. isolation mm -hmm. to now I can give into the community. Now I want to help. How do I participate? How do I serve? So you are changing the, 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 the framework of the community by this, the serving this population. And some people don't recognize again, how many people we're talking about. We're not talking about five people we're not i mean we're talking about one in four women 
And one in seven men have been um, physically severely abused um, by an intimate partner sometime in their lifetime. That's a significant number. We are talking one in three three to four girls before they turn to the age of 18 are sexually abused um, in their life. And one in six boys. This is a significant, you know, we talk, you know, breast breast, um, cancer is a severe thing. And we talk about that all the time and we have the pink and we want to make sure we support that that's one in eight we're talking yeah. about one in four that's a significant number and one and, and one in four, three to four girls uh, sexually abused before the turn 18 and one in six boys before they turn 18 that is a significant number we're talking about a large population of people so yeah. then as a community, we come together and we all serve together. We can make a difference to change where our community is. Because when you're not working in this world, because I told you I was a stay-at-home mom, yeah. I knew nothing about this world. I'm like, Idaho is a great place to stay live, you know, and it is. Idaho is a great place to live. It's a safe place. Everybody says that all the time. That's why everybody's moving here, right? It's right. a great place to live. But they don't understand what's happening underneath that great place in the parks, right? When they're working in the jobs that we're working in, we're seeing so many. So coming together as a community, saying, you know what? Let me do my part. I don't have to do every, like Andrew yep. said, I don't have to do her part, her part, or her part. Let me do right. my part. And the question is, what is my part? And I have a list of things <laughs> that you can have a part in. And um, so I'm, I'm excited that we're able to share that today um, with everybody because I think it's such an, an essential thing that we talk about. Absolutely. And it, it's something I I talk about a lot in, in these situations and fundraisers in general. One person can't make a difference. Jeannie by herself can't make the difference. Angela by herself, me by myself. But you know what? Guess what? When we all get together and each of us as individuals, that's where true miracles happen. That's where the hope comes from. That's where the healing comes from. And that's how we start to change the culture. Absolutely. Casey Gwynn and Gail Strack from the National Alliance call it the power of we. And the power of we um, isn't the Nampa Police Department and the prosecutor's office. It's our community. It's, you know, our citizens. It's our churches. It's the businesses. And Mm -hmm. I love when a business or when anybody reaches out and says, you know what, I want to learn more. Give us a call. Come on a tour. You will be blown away. Everybody always says, I had no idea it was this big. I had no idea it was this inviting. I had no idea it was this warm. How can I help? Give me a call. Let me give you a tour. Jeannie and I can tell you how you can help. (laughs) Yes. Well, and in the description of the podcast here, there is all the links. If you want to be a volunteer, there's a link there for the form on the website that you can be able to fill out. There's, of course, always all the contact info in the description as well. If you're needing services, want to find out about services. Maybe it's someone in your life that you love and care about and are worried for and want to get more information. Go to the Nampa Family Justice Center. Find out what it is so that you have the tools for that person that you love to help them. Absolutely. You have no idea whose life you might be saving by just getting information, getting educated, and being willing to share. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for being in here with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And we've got a lot to come. Yeah, we do. Please join us for the next edition of Pathways to Hope and Healing. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Pathways to Hope and Healing. Again, if you or someone you know have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700. Search the Nampa Family Justice Center on Facebook and Instagram for more conversations. If you have suggestions for topics you would like us to cover or get more information about anything you heard in today's episode, contact us through the email at fjc at cityofnampa.us.